to the Waking Up From Work podcast. My name is Dave Swillam. Let's get ready to hustle. Welcome back to the Waking Up From Work podcast. You're listening to episode 149 of the show tonight. This is your host, Dave Swillam. This is where we get to work, making work a passion, living life creative full time. So if you're new to the show, this is where we interview artists, entrepreneurs, creatives, and people pursuing lives that they want to do instead of the things that we're told to do. So today I am pumped up to get another guest here from the West Coast. We've both got some strong winds outside our houses. So we're praying to God that this podcast can last and that we can finish this interview. But really excited for this guest here because this is a guest that, you know, on the show, we're speaking to lots of photographers and producers and musicians and a lot of things that are just in the world that I'm working in a lot more. This is something that we haven't had on the show before. And most of it's just because my exposure is less on it. And that's what's awesome about having guests on from all of these different areas. Because I know that all you listening out there are from all of these different areas. So I'm trying to get people that can speak to new things, fresh takes. And I think this gentleman right here could probably do that for us. So I'd like to welcome on Michael Mesmer, who is a award-winning illusionist, uh, stage hypnotist, as well as a hypnotherapist on two sides of that artwork right there. And we've got a lot to break down with Michael between his experience traveling between 25 different countries. He's been doing this piece of his business for now decades, but now is breaking into new things in terms of writing coming from publications that he was doing and then heading into a first book deal and things like that. So we've just got a huge, huge plethora of stuff to dig into and only an hour to do it. So Michael, thank you for joining my show tonight, man. I appreciate you being on. My pleasure, Dave. I'm excited to be here with you. So I guess for people out there, Michael, that might not have caught one of your shows yet or run into you yet, do you want to just run people through like, who is Michael Mesmer and kind of like, I know that you've been doing this for a while at this point, but how did this happen? How did we get to do this? Well, you know, I started out like a lot of people when I was young. I've mostly never done anything but my entertainment life uh, since I was young. My dream was to tour the world, be an entertainer, which I've been lucky to do. I started out actually at age seven with my first paid show. My first show was age five, but age seven was the first time I got paid. I was in a production of Wizard of Oz with a very famous star at that time by the name of Connie Stevens, who probably most listeners won't know at this point, but uh, she was very famous at the time. Her daughter's Julie Fisher, which is more current. People might know her, but um, in any case... I started out when I was young in the musicals. My brother was a Broadway star and he was nominated for Tony Awards and things like that. My older Very brother cool. played drums for Chubby Checker, Little Richard, a lot of famous bands. And cool. so I always wanted to be in showbiz. So start out in the musicals. And then when I hit about age 11, 12, I really got interested in magic and doing magic shows. And so that's the start of the magic career there about age 11, not making money. I didn't really make money from magic until I was about age 16. And eventually, when I was 17, I became a member of the the first group of junior members for the Magic Castle, which is world famous here in Hollywood. And I was the first group under 17 to be allowed to be members. So that was pretty cool. There's only about 13 of us. All of us have gone on to have pretty good careers. And then I continued touring around the world, 25 countries, performed for people like Princess Grace, Elizabeth Taylor, Michael Jackson, and still doing high-end magic shows like at Beverly Hills for private parties and different high-end people. I just did a show for Steve Wynn not long ago at Beverly Hills. And so doing that, but along the way, I toured the world. I saw a lot of interesting things, especially in regard to hypnosis. So what I did was I saw these trance ceremonies. There's a Kim J ceremony in Thailand and I was touring there as a magician. So I was interested in these different things that were totally. and phenomenal. So they have a Kim J ceremony where they go in their temple and it's actually a vegan ceremony to their, their God. And they put spikes through their cheeks. They're like, an inch and a half thick all the way through. Then they skewer their tongues. Then they walk through in a trance through the streets for hours. Then they return to the church, pull all these things out. No damage, no problem. Tongue is not ready to be cut off, which it should be because it's losing oxygen and blood. 
And it's all through trance. So these things really, I saw the horse ceremonies in Indonesia and where they make a person into a horse and then they whip them with a leather whip, welts <laughs> back, they eat light bulbs. And at the end of the ceremony, the welts instantly go away. So these things inspired me. So when I came back to the States, then about the early 1990s, I went to the Hypnism Training Institute, learned to be a, a stage hypnotist, but also got inspired to become a hypnotherapist. And from there, everything went on and on. So done a lot of television, did movie work, and really I enjoy my therapy too. I, I'm a consultant to the Unger Medical Center here in Rancho Cucamonga, California. And Jeff Unger is the guy who brought Ozempic. You probably hear those commercials for Ozempic and, and, and for diabetes. And he brought that to market. So he has me come in yeah. as an expert to help his clients. Even I do hypnotherapy with his daughter, actually. So, Wow. What a journey, man. <laughs> That's like a, a big snowball of things. So like, I guess I want to break down a couple of things real quick because sure. you just put out so much good stuff right there. So I'm getting that growing up, it's like the, the family as a whole, everyone is a performer of some type, right? So you have music, you have both you and your other brother were both in theater. And then, you know, later in your teens is when you start deciding other than the theater, you're niching more into the magic, into the illusion in terms of that performance, right. I guess. And then you start doing that. You start making money 16, 17. How does that moment, I guess, translate where that's such a, you know, the bulk of our audience, I would say, is between 18 to 30, you know, 38, yeah. 40, 45. So a big transition point is that point of, you know, people figure out what they want to do in, in high school. And then a lot of people do something within the next 10 years and they either do or they don't do it. How did it translate from I'm getting paid in this thing that I've started niching to a better performer? How did we go from that to start that journey where now it's snowballs to all these experiences that you're seeing and everything? I'm assuming that those Thailand and Indonesia experiences were from you traveling in performing and you were in those right, areas sure. already yeah. at that point. Yeah, those are more in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say that the first thing you have to have is a passion for what you do. You know, so yes. many people get into things because they say, oh, I can make a lot of money doing this. And that's true. You can. And you might be able to do it with something you have a passion and really love. So the thing is, in life, so many times we get discouraged as a young person. And you have to take chances a little bit, too. I mean, the way I started to jumpstart my career at an early age, I did crazy things, to be honest, things that were outside of the box. I can recall back when I was 17. And I wanted to get a known in my community, the surrounding communities for what I did. I know they had a big fireworks thing at the local college stadium. So I went to the Lions Club and I said, you know what? I can hang upside down from a straitjacket 100 feet in the air from a flaming rope and escape during the fireworks show. Now, <laughs> now here's the 17? thing. Yeah. <laughs> now, here's the thing. I had never seen a straitjacket in person in my life at that point, And the fireworks show was two weeks away. Nice. But I just saw, I watched, I you know, was inspired by the Houdini movie with Tony Curtis. I thought, you know what, I'm going to present this to them and they won't be able to resist. I said, all you have to do. And on top of it, I said, you don't even have to pay me. I said, I will do it for the publicity. You know, I just said, if you guys will provide the crane that will lift me up in the air, then I will do the rest. So me and my buddies, I run down to Hollywood. I find a straight jacket and they agree <laughs> to it, of course, because they're like, wow, yeah, we'd like that in the fireworks show. So I went down to Hollywood. I find a straight jacket. I bring it back. My buddies are lifted, put me in as tight as they can. They lift me up on monkey bars in the junior high by their house. And I'm swinging by my legs, trying to learn how to escape out of this jacket about a week before this thing happens. And mind you, at the show, I'm going to be hanging from a rope that's on fire. And so <laughs> it's... Oh uh, Who's know, working it's, out the it's, logistics it's, of all of that? It, if you're literally going to them, you haven't even figured it out yet. Who is working the logistics of like putting fire onto a rope and how long this rope burns or anything? Or is it just... It's just, we're going to assume that we're going to make it happen. Yeah, I just assumed I'm going to make it happen. <laughs> Gosh, you know? But looking back, I would never, now I do danger magic still where I break arrows in my neck, I swallow razor blades, but I would, these are all things I've learned and really know what I'm doing, but right, I really right. didn't know what I was doing there. But I just had the, you know, when you're young, you feel indestructible. And yeah. so, you know, I just thought, you know, heck, I'm going to do this. And you know what? Thank goodness to my friends. I even tell my mom and dad I was doing it because I knew they would have never allowed it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and not to say hey, people should go out and do things against what their parents' wishes are, but but it just, I, I wanted to do what I wanted to do and I wanted to be successful with it. And so I rehearsed and a week later we get to the, we did one rehearsal with the crane out in the orchard. This guy had a crane that the Lions Club had it and he was out in the orchard working on his orchard. So we did this rehearsal, no fire on that one, didn't even rehearse with the fire. And 
didn't even know that we should use a certain kind of fire. It's, you know, not use gasoline, blah, blah. I don't know how we figured that one out. In any case, I didn't know even how to hook up to their crane, but I found these cattle hobbles <laughs> that are made out of leather with a chain in between. Now, mind you, they're not made for hanging 250 pounds or 225 pounds, 100 feet in the air, swinging around. But I just thought, oh, they're, they're leather and they've got chains, so they should be okay. So <laughs> I, that's how I hung up there. I could You're making me my- anxious, even though I know the result of the story because I'm seeing you right now. I'm getting <laughs> nervous right now for you. <laughs> and so my buddies are there with me, him and his brother. In fact, he's still my best friend to this day. Tom Rector, he ended up being a copywriter and he wrote for, he did the commercials for X-Files and all sorts. He's now retired and has millions, hundreds of thousands of dollars. But in any case, we're still friends to this day. We still travel. We still have good times together. But we were there. So they're lifting me up. They lit it on fire and the fire's dripping down on me. I don't know what kind of fluid we use, but it's dripping past my face. Everything hanging upside down. And I'm up a hundred feet in the air. There's like thousands of people in the stadium. I ended up, do, I do get out. Now I have to get out before they'll lower me. So I got out, they lowered me just before I got to the ground. The rope snapped from the fire and I took my bow and then the fireworks went off and bam, there you go. But it was successful, wow. but it was crazy. It was insane. It's like, you know, they talk about these movies, like what that one is around right now. What's the name of that with the people that do all these crazy things? Oh, Uncharted. Yeah, something like that's that. one that's like got a ton of it's got a ton of like action stunts in it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know, I really live this thing. You know, <laughs> and, yeah, uh, more so than that because you had legit just fire and liquid. It wasn't even a well planned out and not no offense to you, but it's not like a a perfectly perfected planned out thing like the movies do in a lot of props and things that are not kind of more like jackass. it's like jackass or something. You yeah. Know? <laughs> But, wow. but I, admit, I was probably a little bit of a jackass when I was a kid that way. But, you know, you have to take my point being sometimes you have to take chances when you're going to follow your dream to yeah. just start it. You can't to be successful like no others. You have to live in a different way. You have to you have to live like no others. And yeah. so, yeah. You, can't, you know, you have to follow your dream. And to do that, you can't get attention by being what everybody else is or being the norm. You have to do something out of the norm. and so. That was too crazy. I wouldn't recommend anyone doing that because it was insane. But and I since did it (laughs) several times past that, but with more science behind it. Uh, In any case, my first suggestion to people, I don't know what the question was initially, but I think we got to this point somehow. My first suggestion is you have to be, you have to take chances or else you'll never make your dream manifest. 100%. Yeah. I mean, you pretty much answered the question. The question was essentially like, how do we get from, you know, theater background getting into magic, how do we get from 17 and I'm starting to get paid to decades worth of it, traveling 25 countries in front of a lot of different important people to, to do the show? How do we make that transition? But it sounds like this one thing you were like, you're like, I know that this is the thing that I want to do. And then literally this one thing, I can't imagine the, the publicity you must have gotten from that. But I right. feel like at that point, did it just like kick and you're like, now people are hiring me and now I'm going to just, this is what I'm going to do. Like I'm leaving right. high school. And this is the thing that I do because this one thing just kicked me right into there. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, David, you you have to believe in yourself for others to believe in you. And so you have to be totally 100% committed to your dream and to yourself. Now, I'm not talking about being egotistical. That's a whole different thing. What I'm talking about is you have to have total faith in your abilities, total faith that you can do this, whatever the dream is. You have to have that. And no matter what other people say, sometimes your best friends, sometimes the people you love, that love you the most will say, you know, you really should do something else because I'm not sure you can make a living this way. I'm not sure you can be successful this way. And, yep. you know, there's some truth to that. It's always good to have something that you're good at that you might be able to use, utilize in a different way. But really, unless you're 100% in, you're not going to make it ultimately. You've got to yeah. be 100% in, have total faith in yourself. You know, and for me too, I, I have... I'm not trying to influence anybody or proselytize. I happen sure. to be a Christian. So I'm really, I'm really believe God's behind me in what I do too, because otherwise I wouldn't have these skills and abilities, right? Sure. So, you know, if you have that kind of faith and then faith in yourself, others will have faith in you and nothing can stop you. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. That has been brought up on the show before, or, or maybe even I've talked about it, but it's like, there's so many times where you don't really know where the money's coming from, or you don't right. know how something's going to happen, or you don't know even how you are going to do it yet. Just like the rope thing. And it's not like 
you literally had never been in a straight jacket. You're just like, I am going to do this and it's going right. to happen. And then right, you once manifested. you commit to it, then it's going to, it, it's, it's happening somehow. Somehow it has to happen. And it, right. I feel like your situation is obviously an extreme exaggeration of that. But right. I'm sure that there's many situations that people out there where it's like if they're leaving their job or they're like they're they've just made an, an actual commitment to whatever it is that they want to do and they have to go, you know, get a lease somewhere or they have to, you know, do something. It's like if you're not like 100 percent into it, you can't commit enough to like put that on the calendar and then also find a way to, like you said, manifest, but like find a way from point A to point B. You have you to just be fearless. comfortable with not knowing the answers, but still assuming that you're going to land it. And it's not like an ego thing. Like you were saying, it's not like, well, I'm the best, no. so I can do anything. It's just like, I believe that I can make this happen. And also it helps when you've had it happen before too. And then you're like, yeah, I've done this before. I've been in these crazy situations. I, you know, that must've helped you for, I wasn't even thinking this with the point that I was going off of on. It was kind of like just breaking down, but that must've helped you so much with your confidence or your belief in yourself after that one beginning thing it's like it kicked off in terms of press and that's great in terms of marketing that's great right. but that must have also been such an indicator for you where you're like if i believe that i can make this thing happen i can go out and do whatever the hell i want to do and that i'm sure that that has been something for you to lean back on as you've built upon it it's my whole life i've been that way but i will say this after that experience and having said that a critical thing is you do need the best training possible. You know, you can start your career, you can start it happening, but along the way, you need to keep educating yourself, keep upping your game, keep learning the latest. You know, you can't, uh, I've been in this for, you know, five decades. So the thing is that I never stop learning new techniques, new ways of doing things, new marketing ideas, new everything. And so, but even at the beginning, you know, yes, you have natural talent, natural ability, or a natural, or you have a big dream and you have an idea of how to make that dream happen, but always get all the aspects together, you know, get the marketing. We were talking before we came on this about my name and my name is a marketing tool, just like with David Copperfield or, or, you know, John Wayne, their names were not David Copperfield and John Wayne. They chose names for their marketing because if it's you that you're selling, then you're the product. And if you're the product, then you have to make that product the most notable and the most recognizable as possible. Right, right. Yeah, because I, I made that comment just because obviously I saw the last name and I, I assumed because I have seen those other names out there where I was like, it makes total sense and it also like adds to it. But it's gotta be interesting where I have a bunch of different brands, but I don't have a personal brand. And I think a lot of them are like, it's just me or like me and one other person. So like a right. lot of people... I'm associated with the brand like really hard, but none of them are literally David Swillam or Dave Swillam. I don't have one like that. What's it like? Because you just made me think of this when you talked about that marketing point. What is it like where you told me that your wife literally calls you Michael Mesmer as well in terms of like that brand and that identity combining entirely? I know that in other things, sometimes that's an unhealthy thing of how they combine. But I feel like for you, it's just such your personality and the way that you look at things that it may not be a problem that way. What's your, how is, how has it been for you? Like starting off and being through as a personal brand and then building those two personalities to you as a person and you on stage, I'm sure that there's differences between the worlds and then similarities. Well, there really are. That's a, that's a great, great insight that you've just talked about because yes, when you are your own product, you can tend to let the lines blur between business and personal life. So it's very yeah. important keep those separate in a sense, because what you are on stage, that's wonderful. You know, the thing, as far as being an entertainer, the great thing is to go, like I just did a show in Oregon last week in Portland. And, you know, I got a standing ovation. In addition to my extensive fee for traveling there and doing the shows, they gave me a hundred dollar tip. It's very easy to start thinking, you know, for your ego to take over. And when ego takes over, then you, you're finished. Ego will destroy your business, will destroy who you are. So. You have to understand that when I'm home, I'm even though my wife calls me Michael, when I'm home, I'm a whole different person. And my job, even though it, my job is me, I am the product. That product is not my personal life. So right. you have to keep those separate. And it's very hard to do in, in some instances. But what I do is when I'm doing shows, like my wife tours with me. And so when I'm getting about two hours before, three hours before performance, say we're now in show mode. So then I hmm. become Michael Mesmer 100%. Till I That's get in awesome. show mode, her needs are first, come first. So I kind of separate those if you see what I mean. So there's wow. show mode, which is 
when I'm getting into that mode, I'm getting into that mindset, getting it my head in the game. And th- at that point, everything's me. Everything's about me for those three or four hours or five hours. When I get home and I'm not in show mode, everything's about my wife or my daughter or whatever. Yeah. Wow. That's such a cool background or, or explanation, I guess, because I know that like recently on the show, the past 20 or 30 episodes, I've interviewed some people that talked about different positions where they're they're traveling and they're doing their creative from travel or they do things where they help people do their work remote or whatever. And we talked about like, if you're like in an apartment, like like for me, I I enjoy living rural, but I love being in cities. You know, I know you said you're in LA. There have been people through lockdown that are in like a small New York apartment or something and like they have kids or whatever. I'm like, how do you in God's green earth separate work from play and like have those modes because you need a mode. You're totally right. You need like that mode. That's right. And they would make little tiny part on their counter and like their work stuff would be permanently set up or whatever it was. And it'd be like, when I sit here, I'm working. Or like when right. I'm doing this thing, it's work mode. And they, they're a different mode. And maybe it's not so drastic between, you know, like you're walking around when you're sitting there, like getting the the mail or grocery shopping or something, you're probably not eating razor blades and like glass and stuff like that, you know, but at the same, it's not as drastic for them. But, but I like that you're like, yeah, two or three hours before the show. Now I'm in show mode. And I'm sure that you go into, I do the same thing when it comes to like musical performance, I get into a space or if I'm going to do a music video or something, I need to be thinking about like, what is the song about? What's the story? And like, what, what me is this? So that that way I can be that. And it's not that it's a different person. It's just a different side of me that needs to show up at those times. And the only way to do that is to have like a mode. That's cool that you have like time before the show where you literally have two or three hours. You're like, I need this time, two or three hours. This is that mode. Yeah. It's like even athletes do that, of course, too, because they've got to get their game, you know, as I mentioned earlier, because, you know, it's a totally different thing. And, you know, I've been watching the Olympics, the Winter Olympics, and it's interesting watching the the skaters in particular, because that's who I enjoy watching and looking at see where they're going to lose it. You can just see it because they're not fully a hundred percent in the game. Yeah. Well, like that, I mean, Olympics, when you're talking about that, there's the whole thing that people were just nonstop talking about when Simone Biles took that step down. And when you're saying that moment where you saw when they're going to lose it, she literally has that moment where she loses it. She falls, (laughs) she falls down and, and luckily didn't get hurt, but it's, she's explaining to people that it's from depression and, and emotional things. And you're very right. There's a headspace that needs to be around. And if you can't maintain that, then you'll have perform- you'll have problems in performance, whether it's athlete- athletic or creative or whatever it is that you're or even doing. Selling, even selling a car, whatever you do, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, exactly. You have a mode. That's really You can't cool. be distracted. You have to be, when you're in that time, when you're in that, whatever business you do, when you're doing that t- business, you've got to be in that mode. It has to be separate from you as a person. And that's why I've got on stage with a lot of injuries through the years. But mm. when I'm on stage in that show mode, I'm so into the moment, I don't feel the pain. Right. Yeah. I've done like long runs, like a marathon and, and there's injuries that you have. And it's like, you don't know until afterwards because you're either in adrenaline or you're so focused or you're in that time. And actually, I'm sure that I'm sure that we could talk to when you're when you're seeing some of those things with the hypnotherapy and the hypnotism. That's really interesting to me because although I don't participate or know a lot about hypnotherapy or hypnotism, obviously uh-huh. I've seen performances, I do believe so much in the ability for your mind to choose like what's happening and I feel like that's the premise between hypnotherapy or, or hypnotism. You can totally correct me if I'm wrong because you obviously know the art, well, but it's this idea of of actually Uh, using your mind the way that it's, it's designed to be as a tool. Well, so many people misunderstand hypnosis and there's a reason for that because in media, in books, way back to the early days in France with the book Trilby in 1870, I can't remember the date offhand, but anyway, that became Sven, Sven Gali, which was made into films. But even to get out a few years ago, that was in the theaters. People don't understand that hypnosis doesn't allow anyone to control your mind. Hypnosis in its natural way, which is what I use, which is what I learned at the Hypnism Training Institute. I took 500 hours of training, and then I did an internship, and then I got a degree in psychology to kind of back it up. Hypnotherapy and hypnosis in its natural form, it's about you learning to control your own mind, not about someone letting someone else control your mind for you. I had a friend who made a t-shirt that said, hypnotherapy because you have the right to change your own mind. 
And that's mm. really what it comes down to because hypnosis is a natural ability we all have. I mean, uh, how many times you've been driving, you get somewhere and say, how did I get here so quick? That is highway hypnosis. But you could be sitting in a classroom and you're in a daydream. Well, daydreaming essentially is hypnosis. You're thinking about something else. You're focused on that thought and kind of everything else is still there, but you're just not thinking about it. And you're thinking about what you're, you're focused on and everything else goes away to an extent, but it's yeah. a natural ability. So everybody does hypnosis, just not the way I do it, where I can help them to do it on demand. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like tapping into these, it's, it's like tapping into these lesser used or unused pieces of our mind that are running probably 24 seven in, in a much stronger way than we're capable of in some other pieces of our mind. But there's so many distractions or it's so difficult to be in that state that there's this practice of, of utilizing those, those pieces. Well, that's my total, just, that's just what I'm riffing off of. I don't know if that's correct. Well, like I say, it's a net, we all have it. And just learning how to do it on demand. I like to, I call it controlled daydreaming is really the easiest way to explain it. Yeah. And so from the, the hypnotherapy piece of it, and then I I want to get into the stage part because they're, they're definitely two different things that people see. I guess, what are you seeing it helping the most with for people? If there is anything specific that it's orientated towards or, or what do you see as the biggest benefits from its use in society that it may or may not be implemented in at this current time? Well, you know, the problem today is there's a couple of things. We're so busy and everybody's so busy with being on the phones and everything else that we're using all these external tools, but we're not learning how to use our internal skills to improve our life and improve our quality of life. And so with hypnotherapy, you were asking what, what are the best things it can do? Well, it's great for relaxation. It's great for sleep. It's great for a lot of things. I work with all different kinds of clients. I've worked with veterans who have phantom limb pain when they've lost a limb in the war. And so I help them with that. I've worked with ladies with breast cancer issues. But here's the thing. In life, when we're age one through one through eight, Dave, what happens is that we get programmed because we have a, at that point, we don't have a critical factor to decide what comes in and what doesn't come in our minds. So what happens is a lot of things can happen between age one and eight or one and 11. And when we uncritically Hmm. accept those ideas, they become part of our being. So say that you, I'll give you a simple example. Say that you're driving, you're in your, you're not driving, but your parents are driving, you're a little child, you're in your car seat, you're singing with the music on the radio. Your parent or guardian should say, can you shut up? Or can you be quiet? All of a sudden you think there's something wrong and you can't sing or you shouldn't be expressing yourself in public. Well, that stays in your subconscious. It's like a broken record that goes over and over again, continuing to inform every action you take for your adult life. So with hypnotherapy, I can take you back and go through the conscious mind of that subconscious again, access it, and you can then, we can't take that thought out or that memory out. We can help you to now say, I'm an adult and look at it from an adult standpoint and now deal with it differently so it no longer negatively affects your life. Right. So it's not something that's like a hidden why behind so many actions that you do. It's more so you're not removing it. There's no way to perfectly remove the way that we're developed in those most incremental times of our lives. But there's a way to expose it and say, this is the why behind why, you know, you do X, Y, and Z. This is why that happens. And now you can contextualize it and be like, oh yeah, it's why you, why you have bad relationships, why you have a lot of things. These things continue to affect us. Or we may have seen our parents behave certain ways in, those, in that era of our life. And that all went in there. And now we're act, acting out that same play or that same storyline because we, we don't realize it because it was so deep in us. But if you can go in and reshape that and see it differently, then it can improve your relationships. It can really improve your job performance, all sorts of things. Yeah. Totally. Uh, That makes perfect sense to me. It's like with so many other pieces of psychology or ways that we work on it. It's, it's like right now, like psychedelics are so popular in terms of this reawakening of, of working on them in the medical field and what they're doing. And it's like all of these different things, you know, what you're working on, what they're working on, all of these different ways of looking at it. It's essentially ways to let things in the mind out that are just being pushed down. And, you know, culturally it's helping that our society is a lot more open to that than I think it has been in the past, like allowing well, people and, to feel you know, that Dave, or show it, you know? Dave, but, you know the, the thing about it, Dave, is that with hypnotherapy, unlike other modalities of treatment, like yeah. psychology and psychiatry, 
Hypnotherapy, we don't have a roadmap. We're not going to lead you in a certain direction. We actually are helping the person to find their own solution, okay? Mm. So mm. You, you already know inside of you what that problem is, but you simply haven't faced her, but your you know, conscious mind. So right. we're helping you to create, to find your own health solution and cure yourself. And the great part is with hypnotherapy, it really only takes two or three visits. It's not like a lifelong thing. Once you learn hypnosis and hip, yourself's hypnosis, you'll continue to create your own healing throughout your rest of your life. Right. That's awesome. I guess on the flip side of that, Michael, when it comes to like some of your stage performances, when you are working with people from the crowd, you know, it's so classic and, and also awesome. And probably what's part of what's awesome about watching the show is when you watch the people that are straight up like, I don't believe this. And then they participate and then you get them. That's always like your his audience member. You're like, yes, like I wanted that to happen. But I guess like, what do you see from your time with that where you have these people that just straight up are not believing in it or they're really against it or something and then they participate? Do you see anything in terms of a conversation afterwards that you've had with these individuals or do you see anything in reliving that so many times through the amount of performances that you've done where you understand, I mean, I'm sure that you understand what's happening, but I guess, do you want to talk to that that experience? I think that's just such a fascinating thing to understand the differences between someone who does this constantly. So you, you see it happen, you're aware of it, you obviously believe in it and know it. And then people who might see this performance once every whatever, and they're straight up just against it, but then they participate and then they act in it. Well, I'll, I'll take, you have a lot of, you put a lot of that question there. Sorry. Um, <laughs> that's okay. First of all, you don't have to believe in hypnosis. I always say this because people always say, well, I don't know if I believe in it or I don't, it's not a religion. It's a modality of treatment. It's a proven modality of treatment. It's a proven technique. Now, it's not science. It is a phenomenon. So it can't be proved through scientific method, but it is a phenomenon that has been shown that it does have effect and does work based on wanting to have change, wanting to follow suggestion. You have to want to do it. It's not uh, controlling your mind, like I said earlier. So right, right. People put an act on. People right. constantly say to me, I don't believe it. Or I said, there's nothing to believe or not believe. It's fact. It's been shown to happen. So, you know, there's that. But then as far as people saying, I don't believe it, and I'm, I'm going to go up there and prove it wrong. Well, I always tell them, don't come up then, because if you don't want to do it, if you're not open to doing it, if you're just here to prove me wrong, then you might as well stay in your seat because right. you take a seat from, away from someone who really does want to have a valid experience. So you have to participate. Part. Yeah. And right? a lot of people say that because they're trying to get you to get them on stage. Well, I don't believe in it. You can't hypnotize me. They say that because they really want to be chosen to be in the show. So that's their way of trying to use reverse psychology to get me to bring them on stage. So I generally won't choose those people just because of their attitude, because I want yeah. people to be positive and want to give it their best shot. Now, as far as the hypnosis show, I have to tell you, whether it's hypnotherapy, whether it's hypnosis, whether it's doctors, whether it's anything, it depends who the practitioner is who's going to be the hypnotist, because... Mm. There are people that have just taken a two or three day seminar. Now they think they're a hypnotist. And that's more prevalent now than ever because of the internet. As I told you, I took 500 hours of training initially. So if you get a good person doing the hypnosis, you're going to have a positive experience on stage. But here's the thing about hypnosis shows. It really is a group hypnotherapy session in reality. That's what it comes down to. People coming up on stage are seeking a relief. The people that come to the show are seeking relief through laughter and fun. The people that come up are seeking release to be able to just for an hour, let go of all their, their you know, hassles in life, all their challenges in life, and just relax and have total fun for an hour. And at the end, I always give suggestions for confidence. So for my show, I found it to be like a wonderful group therapy session that entertains people who are watching it. Right. That's awesome. That's such a cool perspective on it. And that I think comes from your experience where you're saying you went to this university or class, I forget what you noted on it, but the way that you have that background on it. I think that these things like this, like I, I, I think that people have a tendency to kind of blow out of proportion in the way that they're saying that people are interacting with it. And I felt like you just did a really great justice to the art of it, of an explanation of like, all of that makes perfect sense. But but when you see like the glitz and the glam of it, and or if someone doesn't do a good job in terms of the way that they explain it or perform it, then it it is like them saying, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. But you're explaining like a, a this is this is how the experience works and this is how the human mind works. You know, that's probably coming from your psychology background. 
with the two together to see the difference between the art of it and also the way that people perceive it matters. You know, the way people that perceive anything they're doing, if you, they, they, it's, it's shown that people go to the doctor's office, like, cause you noted that if you don't believe that what they're doing is going to help you, then oftentimes it really kind of doesn't like your, your mind does have a play in like what does and doesn't happen to like create your own luck or create your own way in it. If you don't believe that something's worthwhile or happening, then it, it really doesn't open up things for you. But if you do believe in it and you are engaged with it and open to, Hey, we don't know anything can happen right now. Well, then a lot of things change for you. And you know, Dave, here's the thing that comes to mind again, not talking in an egotistical way, but you have to, if you're going to be doing something, you need to be able to take pride in your work. And so by what that means is always do a quality job, always do something that you feel your work is benefiting others and not just benefiting yourself in the bank account. Do something that like you do music. So that benefits others because that brings happiness or that brings them joy, but take pride in doing quality work. Today, it seems like because we're so quick with the way life moves, posting things every second on the internet or on Facebook or on Twitter, you lose the quality. So I, you know, even with my, my personal business, when I post, I never post more than two posts a week on anything I do because I want a quality post that's going to reach out and show that I'm a quality business or do I'm doing a quality job. And some of them may have interest or make people think a minute when they read my post. So I'm, I'm not constantly posting. I post, my rule is never more than two a week. So again, sure. when, when you're doing a job, you have to do something you can take pride in. Don't do something just because you can do it and make money. Do it because you love it, you can take pride in it, and that other people will benefit from it. If you do those, follow those three things, you'll always be successful in your endeavor. Yeah, I like that a lot. And it is like, I do believe in the principle of if you put out quantity, you will get quality because you're practicing so much and because you are allowing yourself to be creative without constraints of essentially just like, right. I'm going to make a thousand songs, then there's going to be a good one in there. But at the same time, like, you're not wrong in terms of like people post and they make so many things so quickly that sometimes they're not all into it. And it's like, if you're going to do that, why bother? I guess if, if it's especially, you know, on this show, when we're talking about if it's something that you're passionate about, then it's like, it just doesn't make sense to release things or, or do things that aren't all of you. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't do anything till it's ready till it's totally thought through. That's the problem. As I say, with the Facebook and all this and Twitter and you, you do things knee jerk because you're excited about a project or something. Wait till you, and a lot of people post things that unfortunately end up failing uh, in an aspect of their career. So right. really, uh, really think it out, really make sure that when you post it, it's going to be something that's going to make you look good. Ultimately three months down the line. Don't, don't rush your post. Don't post every little incident in your life because you're building a business. You want to make sure that every post is a solid ad for what you do. That's a good idea. Yeah. So I guess I want to talk on the travels real quick. I know that we still, okay, good. We, we're doing okay here. There's just a lot that I want to break down still sure. for you, but when did it, you know, you're obviously working between these things. How did it get to going to 25 different countries? Is this something where you developed like different tours and that started reaching out to those places? Because I'm sure that there's tons of people who are illusionists or hypnotists that only work in the United States or even you know, regionally or locally or however that is, when did it get to a point where you started traveling? And I guess like, how did you acclimate or plan out doing some of those travels? And then I definitely want to hit some of those unique experiences you noted in Thailand and Indonesia. Well, at that time, my first partner was really interested in us going on cruise ships. And mind you, cruise shipping today is totally different than that era that I was doing it in because we, we actually worked for Norwegian Cruise Lines, Royal Caribbean. We worked for all those. Uh, so, but we found a ship in Asia called the Pearl of Scandinavia that only had 300 passengers, very elite. And in those days, this is one thing thanks to Richard Nixon, we were able to go cruising in China, People's Republic of China. Wow. He opened that whole thing up. And so uh, that was really an amazing time because we were performing on the Great Wall and uh, all sorts of things. and. So, so cool. The cruise ships initially that I went to all those countries, but also then eventually that led to land work as well in China, in Hong Kong. And I also worked in Venezuela and a lot of places. So, but the ships were kind of the magic carpet to those areas. And while we were in ports, I would go do shows or I'd go do television shows in those 
countries. That's awesome. It's like using a tool that was opened up, but then obviously you start meeting people and connecting with people. And then you already immediately made connections to start doing more international work just on your own entrance like that. It's like a little right. Trojan horse in the countries. Right. That's it. That's a good way to say it. You're, you're pretty brilliant in how, how you express things. Oh, thanks, man. Trojan, <laughs> a good horse. Time. I like that. Trojan horse and into the, to the countries for grassroots. Yes. Wow. All right. So talk to me about these experiences for the Thailand and the Indonesian one that, that had these big impacts on you in terms of the way you looked at hypnotherapy. Were you looking for those? Like when you were you, what instance were you already there or did you travel for these things? And I guess like, I'm so about travel, I guess, because it does open up this different thing. Like those things that are happening in the world, you would just never know that that's happening unless you travel or unless you start looking for things. And then I think it's so fascinating when you go to different places and you see people doing a ritual like that or any other thing that they're doing in their culture. And you just understand that there isn't just one way of anything, you know, I guess, like, how did you seek out those experiences or how did they become a part of things for you? And, and what impact or change in your mindset did those have on you if they did? Well, before I answer that, and I'm going to give you a good answer on that too, but I, something struck my mind too, when we were talking about posts and everything. So I, yeah. just want to, I want to put a closure on that in your advertising. It's very easy to make a website, make yourself look like, in entertainment, you can make, we'll say, you can make yourself look like Lady Gaga tomorrow. All the tools we have now, it, you can do anything. But I wanted to say, in regard to the post and everything else you do as far as marketing, don't yeah. overrepresent yourself. You know, even if you're at the beginning of your career, do a lot of free stuff, whatever it is, services to people, so you can build something up that's real that you talk about. Don't make yourself look like Elvis Presley if you're a novice. And so that can be a trap because if you do that, eventually it will show and eventually you'll ruin your future of your career. Definitely. So just a note, just a note, don't overrepresent yourself, although it's very easy to do. You can use your camera and take amazing video. The camera itself can be the best advertising tool. You can make websites for free. And again, you can make yourself look like you're worth $5,000 for a show in my case, or $10,000 for a show in my case, but you may only be worth a birthday show for $250. And you know what? Better to start at the bottom and work your way up the real way. It's a little longer road, but don't overdo your advertising and make yourself seem more than you are. That's not to say you shouldn't make yourself with your very best and the very best at what you do. But I, I know there's a, another guy that's a hypnotist. He says a Hollywood hypnotist. He takes pictures of stars and he puts them together with himself, even though he never met them, and makes it like he's performed for all these stars. Oh, well, his no. The, his career ultimately went down the tubes. So Can't do that. Yeah. yeah, don't do that stuff. Don't don't make yourself look like you are the greatest thing. Make yourself look like you're the best person that you are. That you're the best at what you do at this moment. But don't overdo it because it will ruin your career. Now, onto the very travel. good point. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree with you. You know, if more, this is where we have a problem. Well, this is a bigger issue than just business. But in our country, so many people are stuck within the 100-mile radius or even a 1,000-mile radius of their home, they never really understand other cultures, other people, how other people think, how other people live. And in traveling, by broadening your knowledge base of other countries, other peoples, other ways of life, it will just strengthen your business 100%. I've worked for all different people through my career, whether it be Asians, East Indians, Hasidic Jews. And by having knowledge of all those things, you can make your client so much more comfortable with them doing business with you because you understand where they're coming from. I was watching, just an example, I was watching again the skating last night of the male skaters. There was a Mr. I can't remember his first name. His last name is Brown. He's not able to do the quads like a lot of the other guys. So he didn't end up in the top three, but he was representing America. He ended up in the top five, which I was very proud of him. He's very artistic and amazing at what he does. But sure. The beauty of his skating that nobody realized is he did skating to the theme from Schindler's List. And wow. it turned out, my daughter looked it up, and Mr. Brown is, in fact, of Jewish heritage. Wow. So a wow. lot of people didn't realize the depth of what that performance meant, you know, that he was expressing his feelings as a Jew and, and in America and the history of his people. So powerful. How powerful and a beautiful it was. Now, of course, they didn't mention that on the Olympics because. They don't want to have 
you know, political stuff. It's not political or religious, really. It's, it's about, the thing that ha- it's just you know, life. It's no different yeah. than the Asian guys skating to classic Asian music for their culture. But I thought it was so beautiful, and it really brought a lot of emotion to me knowing that level that he brought to that performance. Now, I wouldn't have understood that had I not done a lot of business with the Jewish community, had I not been from that. I have a best friend who's Jewish, but I, I thought that was so beautiful. But again, it's, it gives you another language that you understand, another language of life. And in doing that, when you're in business, then you understand where they're coming from and you can relate to your clients and you can relate better to all of them because let's face it, America is a melting pot from inception. It's always going to be that way. So if you understand all the cultures by traveling to Mexico, even Canada, because I do a lot of business in Canada, you understand where they're coming from and then you can relate to them. They relate to you and business goes so much better. Yeah, it's done. I haven't traveled anywhere near the amount that you do, but I always make an effort to like go places that either I'm not comfortable in. Like, I'm just like, I have no idea what, how to talk or do anything here or spend money. Like, I just don't know. I, I like to be uncomfortable. And I also like to go just travel as to as many places as I can that are substantially different than my culture to challenge the things that, you know, like you're saying a hundred miles, a thousand miles, you don't really know what you do. That's really shitty until you go to other places and you see stuff and you're like, they don't do this and this works and they're perfectly fine. Or they do do this thing. And like, that seems like a better idea than the thing that we do. And it's people kind of get boxed into this. And I feel like all of life, like all of creative is about unboxing. Like there just shouldn't be that, but it's hard as a human. We're very, we're categorical. Like we need things to be in filing systems, like the way that our mind works, it needs to be, you know, the same color or we look at something and we'll be like, oh, well, that's this thing happening and our mind will make it happen because we we need order like that. So I feel like our whole life, not going too deep here, but is like the fight against how our, our mind wants things to be neat and in a box and being a creative is just spending your life finding ways to like unravel that like consistently. Right. And the best stuff is created right in that little universe that's formed, you know? Well, and you know, when you travel to other countries, you're expanding your knowledge of arts, you're expanding, your, you know, all this thing gives you a different thinking process. So when you're like, for me, I'm working on a new escape this week, it's called claustrophobia. And I, I'm, I'm someone, you know, ropes me with a hundred feet of rope into a children's seat. So I'm totally compressed. My and, mom would freak out. She, she can't be on elevators. <laughs> right. right. So, you know, but when I approach that. I'm approaching from a knowledge base of music uh, as, you know, within any presentation, there's music, there's the choreography, there's the psychology of how you present it to the audience. All these things are enhanced by knowledge of things you've seen around the world. How do they present the horse ceremony in Indonesia? Why is it affecting you emotionally? Why is, you know, seeing a guy chewing a light bulb and no blood and, but how did that set up so that you were touched by it where you remember it for decades? So yeah. Yeah. Traveling. Traveling, even food, presentation of food in other countries. I've eaten everything from monkey brain to rat, you know? And so you learn from these experiences and it expands your thinking. So it actually accents everything you do in your business. Everything you do to create is accented by all that wealth of knowledge that you gain. Now, having said that, I do want to tell everybody, there's nothing like America. When I come back on a plane, I land in America. It's always like a wonderful feeling because all other countries are marvelous and people, mainly the countries, what's marvelous about them is the people, their culture, and their food, not their politics necessarily. But sure. if you travel, everybody's the same as us. They want the same things. They want to be successful in life, help their children have a good life, and they want to have a happy existence. So regardless of the politics of the countries, even in you know People's Republic of China, that everybody has the same wishes and goals. So there's, and that's the other thing. It teaches you to love all people because you understand that we sometimes only see the news and politics and Russia's doing this to the Ukraine. That's all well and good, but it's not the Russian people. It's the Russian politics and people in charge of that country. Right. The people are like us. They're wonderful, loving. And once you learn that, then when you're working for other cultures, like I do performing for other groups, I can have, they know that I am in tune with them, that I love them as people. And even though it's subconscious, I think it throws out sort of a vibe that makes them embrace you and makes them want to do business with you. Right. No, I I could totally see that. And I think that it is really easy when you're like, I I definitely just don't 
I find so many different ways to take in information that's not news but <laughs> for that reason. But there's it's very easy to be like, oh, Russia is going to try to take Ukraine. So Russia is evil. And it's like there's a ridiculous amount of people that live in Russia and like none of them are making this decision. So it's like, but like, but then you have this little thing that bakes into people and they might go to Russia and be like, oh, these people are like bad or something. And you're like, right, dude, it's so, it's so weird because like, you're right. Like, I like what you said of just the points of it. Everyone in every country is trying to do the same thing because we're human beings and we have the same build that we've had for like X amount of thousands of years. It's the same thing. So we're going to naturally do some like we cultures do different things in general, but we're naturally all going to have the same hopes and dreams. We just want to be successful, build something for our families, you know, live in, in peace. And no one, no one wants war to be happening. No one wants to not have food on their plate. No one wants bad things. They want good things. You know, all people want that. And you can't experience that understanding and be able to like block out some of that messaging. If you don't give yourself a chance, I think to, Oh yeah, and, and, for, and for business, I'm telling you, it's the worst thing if you have you know prejudice towards anybody, and there yeah. shouldn't be any prejudice. I mean, if you strip off the skin just down to the muscles, bones, and everything on every person, whether they're gay, straight, LGBTQ, or if they're Chinese or if they're Greek, we all look the same. Yeah, Amen. Love it. So before we get out of here, I definitely want to hit your book thesis right here because I love it so much. I actually like. When I saw that in your comment, I hadn't, I know that you're working on it now, but I, uh, I love the premise of it so much. So I want to hit that before I end this out with like my ending questions on your book. I, I don't know how much you can speak to it because I know that it's early in on it, but the premise that you wrote on the, the comment that we interacted on, you said it's essentially, I, I think it's, uh, called, it was called tightrope. No, actually, uh, or change it. No, but I talk a lot. This is not about the book per se, but, I talk a lot about in business, we're always walking the tightrope and it's always walking the tightrope and you're only as good as your last show. Yes. So I always tell people about that because, you know, it doesn't matter what your past achievements are. It's what, well, look at this. John Williams is 90 years old. The guy, you know, he's the composer for ET soundtrack, Indiana Jones, Star Wars, everything you can name. Yeah. He still challenges himself. He was just in at 90 years old in Berlin doing a big concert that they recorded, but he's also scoring two films right now at age 90. So, you know, Unbelievable, sure he, man. he has this mentality where it doesn't matter. They did star Wars. doesn't matter. They did all this. He still wants to have the next star Wars and the next one. And so that's the mentality you need in business. You can't rest on your laurels. You have to keep creating new things and keep stepping up the game. No matter what your age, no matter how many achievements you never stop. And again, it's like walking a tightrope on your own business because you've got to stay on that tightrope and that takes focus, determination, and faith in yourself. If you lose that, you're going to stumble and fall off that tightrope. And we all know that's not good. But that's, I think that's what you're referring to. Actually, yeah, the book yeah. that I'm in the midst of writing now is called Ghost Transfer, A Hypnotist Among the Spirits. This is a different book? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I did not know that. So that other book is already out, you're saying? No, the other book I have, I, it's on the side burner right now because okay. I, I signed a publishing agreement with Fan Mafia Publishing out of the East Coast. And it was based on that they had seen an article I wrote in Scary Monsters magazine, which I, it's the last great classic horror magazine that doesn't have slasher stuff. It's all about Frankenstein, Wolfman, Creature of the Black Lagoon, all that cool stuff. Classic. It's Creature of the Black, Black Lagoon. It's a 175 magazine. <laughs> really cool. So I've been writing for them for about five years, articles, and they saw my Monster Kid versus Ghost Hunter article, and they were interested in me writing, expanding on that, writing a book. So I got right into it. I, I've turned in, and by the way, it's autobiographical to a great extent, because I talk about my, my experiences with the straight jacket, hanging from the burning rope, all these things interspersed with the ghost hunting. And I've been a ghost hunter for many years now, and it's all about that. It's about my experiences with Elizabeth Taylor in Asia, all sorts of things. But it's a, about a 60,000-page book, plus photos. And I turn in the manuscript, and it'll, it won't be coming out until March of 2023, but it's on pre-sale right now. But it does talk a lot about my philosophies, my life, and all of that. Wow. That's a, that's a lot of words. <laughs> that's crazy. That's really cool. So 
two very different books, but they're both bringing in so much character from your life, really. Yeah, I'm going to finish the other book. It's just I had to put it aside for the moment because of this other project. Yeah. Well, I like, I guess I got struck by that one because there's this quote that one of my mentors early on told me that now I'm like, I I have like a clothing line that I'm making. I literally made like designs from this idea because I just believe this. And it's, if you're ripe, you rot. If you're if you're green, you're growing. And it's just like the, exactly what you said. It's like, if you're not doing anything, like you're not getting better, then you're getting worse. If you're, if you're not living, then you're dying. And I honestly believe that like tying back to what we said in terms of like the way that our mind works. And we're talking about control and, and what we know about ourselves and what we can control in ourselves. I like firmly believe that if like I keep doing things, if you're a John Williams creating and writing and traveling and doing this stuff. The guy is 90 years old and he's still doing that. I believe that it's because he's still doing it. Whereas if I hang out at 60 and then watch 40 years of TV, it doesn't last. You know what I mean? No. You, you, you have to engage all of those things like that to do that. So I like your thesis on that book of, of you're only as good as your last act. And I think that that's so true with so many people out there where it's like, if you haven't seen them for a long time, they straight up have made nothing else since then. It's like, you can't judge them off anything but the good, the good act. But it's like when they come out with another thing, if it's, it's the current news, you know, it does affect the image of what people perceive of you. like, Oh, he was good then, but he's now not good. You know, you know, sadly during the COVID era and the last couple of years, people believe the news so much. They believe there was nothing they could do. They just froze up. I didn't do that. Uh, Actually last year in 2021 was the biggest year of my career. After five decades of being in it, I did a real, I did a show for Reels Channel on Siegfried and Roy, the magicians in Vegas with the Tigers, because I happen to have known them and they helped mentor me a little bit. Very and cool. so I, that was a big, it's still on Reels. You can see it's autopsy, last hours of Roy Horn of Siegfried and Roy. But it sounds grim, the title, but it's really not. It really turned out to be a beautiful tribute to Siegfried and Roy. I was the head guy as far as the guests on there talking about them throughout the show. So I did that. I did the biggest show I've ever done in Beverly Hills, one-time show. I made the most money for one 45-minute show that I've ever made in my career. Hell yeah. Uh, I had big state fairs that I did. I did more of my post-prom and prom night and grad shows, which I do as a whole other story. So I did more things in all the areas of my career than I've ever done. So the thing is, you can either sleep and say, oh, I'm going to let the world pull me down, or you can decide, I'm going to get up and keep going. You know, one of my favorite sayings, One of my favorite sayings, Dave, and I think this is a good way to, as we're coming to the end, one of my favorite sayings is one from Sylvester Sloan, who I, fortunately, I met him a couple years ago. His brother actually opened for my show because his brother has a band and sings. And, oh, that's um, cool. Yeah. So I love this one saying from the Rocky movie, and I'll, I'll do it as Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> All right, I'm ready. <laughs> but, but Rocky said, one step at a time, one punch at a time, one round at a time. That's how winning is done. And that's really... <laughs> that was so good. Thank you. Well, thank you. I really like, you know, Rock's a great guy. But the truth is, that's the thing. One step at a time, one punch at a time, one round at a time. And that's with business, you know? One day at a time, one job at a time, one year at a time. You keep going forward step by step and you'll succeed. Right. Man, I've never ended with the Rocky quote, but I'm so about it. Yo. All right, so... Michael, I'm going to get you out of here. I've got six questions I ask at the end of every single episode, if that's cool. Okay. Okay, cool. These are kind of like pointed questions and they're meant to kind of hit everyone that's on the show with the same thing. And I compile them each, each hundred episodes. And it's interesting to hear all these different types and backgrounds answer these things. So first question would be, why do you wake up and do what you do every day versus any other thing that you could do? Because it's part of my being and always has been. It's fair enough. It's like, you can't not do it. Right. There's no way not because it is me. Although the job, like I say, I keep them separate as we talked about, but it's not the job, but it's the passion for creating, to be creative. I wake up and have to be creative each day. Yes, I feel that. And I feel like everyone on the show understands exactly how that feels when they're in something that's not creative. And then it's, it hurts the soul. What would be like along the way, maybe it's not a mistake because I know that we all learn from the things that we do that we don't like, but maybe something you'd tell five years ago, 10 years ago, you 
or maybe five decades ago, you of person doing something like this or anything, what's like something you'd be like, Hey, don't do this thing. Or if you could learn this lesson from, from my words somehow, which I know it's not the same experience, I don't recommend this thing. What's a a mistake along the way? Well, like we were talking about earlier, and I think it's very prescient for this question, ego has to be put aside. Hmm. Ego is the killer. And so in the past, I think of any of the downfalls I may have had were basically with relationships in business and personal because my ego got in the way. And as you age and you become more wise, you learn how to keep that ego in check. It's not Hmm. easy because when you're in business, you have to have some of that to succeed, but it has to be an impartial, unemotional ego. That's a very, when you say wisdom, I think that that is how I'd explain that comment because it's ego. Like I, I think I did an episode recently being like, I, I am a music producer and I chose to work with another music producer. And my work was like 10 times better than it's ever been. And it's because before I was like, no, I have to record all of my own stuff because I'm a music producer. So I'm supposed to be doing it or else I'm going to look bad. And I was like, I don't care how I look. I need to make the best art all the time. And I'm better when I don't think analytically, I think just creative. And then it's dropping ego. And it's just like, it takes a while to chip away at it. But once you realize those things that you do that are actions driven by ego, you can slowly stop writing the narrative again of stopping those things when you're, you watch why you're doing something and you see that, and it's, you have to work, that. it's a daily chore. It's a daily job to keep that in mind, you know, because yeah. again, you have to have some of that or you won't be fearless. But right. and again, separating it as a non-emotional entity rather than making it part of your emotional being. Right, right. Using it for your worth in tying the things that you're doing yes. to something of value, but not using it in a way of assumptions or uh, like I'm, I have the right to do, I have the right for anything. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. So flip side, what's like the best idea or the best thing that you've ever done? You're like, this is awesome. I wish I did it sooner. Well, we all have those things. I mean, for me, I think it was, I wish I had gotten to hypnotism earlier in my career. It took me a decade or two to get into the hypnosis as I was a magician. Uh, and I told you why, because I eventually experienced hypnosis in, around the world. But right. I wish I got into it earlier because I enjoy it so much. So, but you can't force those things. They have to be a natural, organic thing that come along, you know? Sure. Absolutely. What would be like someone that's a friend or family or someone that knows you? What would they say is your superpower, Michael? Huh? Not like a Marvel superpower, but like Michael Mesmer as a person. Um, I guess I, I guess I don't have enough ego to really answer that question. <laughs> I'm not, I, I mean, I think I'm a good dad to, I'm a good dad. I'm a, a good husband. And I guess they would just say that I'm, that I care about people. Care. That's a good, that's a good superpower to have. What would be a resource that you'd recommend to our audience? It could be a book, could be video, podcasts, like any anything. It could be specific to the things that you're a specialist in, or it could just be straight up in business or creative, anything that you'd like. I would say Dr. Robert Schuler's book, Tough Times Never Last, Tough People Do. I haven't had that one on the show, but that sounds like a good title to me. Well, you know, he wrote it. He's long passed away, and but he was a quite brilliant guy. You know, he had the Crystal Cathedral here in California. He lost it ultimately in his old age, which was sad. But he wrote some amazing things. And that tough times never last, tough people do. It's a small paperback or whatever, but it has all sorts of sayings in it. They're really awesome. When I, when I was trying to get my career going and continue to get it going, I actually got an extra paperback. I cut out all the people, the quotes, put them around my mirror. So every day when I'd get ready, I would see those quotes and they mm. would positively influence me. I love that. I have a friend that does that right now. That's really cool. I'll uh, I'll include that in the show notes. People who are listening to this as a podcast form, I'll include a link to that book that Michael just mentioned. The last would be the easiest, my man. And that's just where do people keep up with you? I'll have all those links down in the show notes below, but it's nice to have it auditorily because sometimes people do hear it and they'll just grab, they'll type that link in or something like that. Where Where do people keep up with you, Michael? Well, of course, I am on you know Facebook and Instagram, so you can get me there. My websites, you'll probably put down, but I'll just quickly say one of them. There's several. The one for the hypnosis is www.mezmer.weebly.com. And then the, I'll give you the danger magic when there's several others, but let me give you the magic. So they, if they want to look at hypnosis or magic, they'll know where to go. Sure. So 
The Danger Magic is www.dangermagic, one word with a K at the end, not a C, dangermagic.weebly.com. By the way, that's a good tip for people. They're looking to create websites. Weebly is awesome. It's free. You have to put Weebly on the domain if you want. I actually own the domains for without them, but it's easy and you can make a beautiful website. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. So people who are out there, I will have those links down in the show notes below. So that, that way you don't have to take those. But I know that when I'm listening to podcasts, sometimes I'm in a position where I, I straight up listen to it and I, I use it some way to find it. So and, Michael, and Dave, thank you for, for being on, man. This is awesome. Sure. I'd like to end this by saying one last thing. And this Please. is something I live by both in business and personal life. It's on my mom's tablet who passed away several years ago, but it, she loved this saying. She always said it. And I think it encapsulates everything we're talking about, which is live every day like it's your last. Love it. 